Hey guys, welcome back to the Super Dope Book Club. This is Mary Catherine. And this is Sebastian. And we're here to read with you. Um, we are on episode three, and today we are going to start right back into Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter by 50 Cent or Curtis Jackson. Mm. Chapter three and four are what we're going to go over today, and it will start with constructing your crew. So, first thing that caught me on this chapter was... You must surround yourself with people who can help support, grow, and articulate your vision. Pick the right people and you can build a team that'll take you to the top. But pick the wrong people and it can derail your vision before it ever fully gets on track. And that is so important because a lot of times if you surround yourself with the same people you've always been surrounded around, um, you tend to do a lot of the same things. And if you are trying to grow and move forward, it is important to surround yourself with people who are also trying to grow and push forward to be better versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's inspiring, even. Um, me, just watching Brandon and Sebastian and Conrad and some of our other friends that we've mentioned um, push forward to be better versions of themselves has inspired me to want to be better. So it's easier to give yourself an opportunity to keep going if you're surrounding yourself with other people who are doing it for themselves. Um, and I love that because we work really hard on surrounding ourselves with good people. Yeah, and honestly, we didn't even know that we wanted to do that until we decided to move to Florida, uh, which honestly, I guess the real starter of the whole thing w- was Brandon with that whole mindset of just moving forward and just having uh, good people with a uh, uh, great minds that want to achieve greater things, uh, just be around each other, kind of, lo- kind of like accountability, so yes. to speak. Um, and that's what we just kind of grabbed that that the perspective and um, that uh, that sense of just being around a better environment. We create a sense of community, even, and with that sense of community, it's cool because once one of us picked up a new good habit, like. I think Brandon was the first one to start meditating when we lived together. Yeah. Um, then he was like, guys, I feel so much better when I meditate. So then Brandon, I mean, Sebastian started meditating. And then once he started meditating, he was like, babe, I really think you could benefit from this. Like, especially with your depression and anxiety, maybe start off your morning meditating. I resisted for a while. And I think it was just pure laziness. But like after a while, they started to do better and get better. And they attributed it to this. So I've started meditating. And starting my day off meditating is a completely refreshed, recharged way to start my day. Like if I wake up in a funk, it doesn't matter. After I meditated, I'm back. I've had the time to decompress and to figure out my thoughts. So just every time one of us picks up a new healthy habit, because we are surrounded ourselves with such a great community, we tend to pick it up as well. And that's really nice. Yeah, I, I really like that because uh, it's like new different things that you can learn from each other. And that's what uh, really what surrounding yourself around a really good environment kind of brings. And I think that's what uh, 50 Cent wants to say is basically just try to find the right people that are good for you. And then on the other side, when it comes to business, he says the ability to recognize character is critical. Say you hire a new guy to be your CFO and everything is fine for years. Then one morning you wake up to find out the CFO has looted the company's accounts, flown off to Dubai with his new girlfriend. Um, So the ability just to judge someone's character and recognize it and figure out who they are before putting all of your trust in them is huge for him, especially because he's got major trust issues. Mm. This man can't trust any, he can't trust the man who's making his chicken. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but like he really does seem to have crazy trust issues. So, um, I love the way he's like, just make sure you know who you're getting into Um, business with he uses a drug dealing analogy again where he's like other guys would have a hey there guy a guy who just like hey man it would lead them to the real drug dealers and they would just let anyone do that so then they would get busted because they would pick people who didn't have very strong character but when it came to 50 he would pick guys that he could tell had strong character so even if they did get busted they wouldn't flip on him and it was a way of self-preservation um, so from his whole life, he's always been judging and checking out people's character before deciding if he even wants to be around them. Um, and the other place where he says it's super important to be a great judge of character is in marriage. Surprise. You should know who you're marrying. <laughs> um, he said billionaires don't lose the bulk of their money to competitors or to new technologies. They lose it to their exes. 
Um, and that is huge. Jeff Bezos of Amazon had to pay his wife, Mackenzie, $38 billion when they split up. Mm, that's quite a price to pay. Yeah, and so Sounds just like painful. knowing the person you are partnering yourself with. Yeah, and I understand what he's trying to say, but it's like, how do you really know the future? But I understand completely, like, sort of like secure yourself in a way. Yeah, uh, it, that, but, see, like, that's such, such a confusing it, thing. It, it's such a touchy subject, like you can look at it from either perspective. Especially because he has these trust issues and he's not married for this very reason. So at some point, I think he's just like hiding from love completely because it's so scary to him. Um, actually, the next header is he'd rather be robbed. And it's literally the whole next area is about he'd rather be robbed at gunpoint than betrayed by someone he put his trust into. Mm, yeah. Um, Getting betrayed is different. You don't get a great war story out of it. I've never heard of someone getting hyped to tell their friends, yo, you won't believe this, but I just got backstabbed by my mans. Mm. Like, you don't want to hear that. To me, the thing that is worse than death is betrayal. You see, I could conceive death, but I could not conceive betrayal, was a quote by Malcolm X that after he read that, Curtis was like, yeah, no, I also don't understand betrayal. Like, just rob me yeah absolutely uh betrayal is definitely a much more hurtful thing because you've put all your trust in that one individual and you basically just i don't know it's it becomes sort of like a part of you uh whomever you're trusting you lose part of yourself when you are betrayed right absolutely i mean it's like you really just getting stabbed in the in the back and, and the reason he says he'd rather be robbed is because he's like at least he knows he's putting himself in a dangerous situation and in after that there's this huge pump of adrenaline and later you do have a story you're like yo i went to do this deal and i got robbed and then you tell him a story because you survived and it pumped it like afterwards you will feel pumped up and excited because something an adrenaline rush just happened where betrayal like he said there it's not an exciting story it's just like yo the person i put my faith in just kind of ruined my life yeah no um so he says when you build your team there's another reason to um take a team that's balanced you want people that have always been with you from the beginning um, but you don't only want those people because you're trying to grow and be different from you were how you were but you don't want to only surround yourself from new people because you want to make sure you trust them. So his whole thing is if you only surround yourself with people from your past, then the past is where you're going to be stuck. Um, but once you start to diversify, that diversifies how you grow. Um, and just be a good judge of character when you do that. Um, then we get to, oh, he's not a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> this is really important to me. Um, uh, 50 Cent is very big on like you doing, you bringing stuff on yourself. And he thinks when people found success, especially in the rap game, that they should remove themselves from the hood to a more uh, safe location. And yeah. um, a, his one of his mentors got killed. Oh, the guy from Run TMC was actually killed in his studio and he 50 thinks that it is straight up because he never left the area he came from it's great to give back but staying there keeps you kind of in this stuck state of mind and because of that he brings up nipsey hustle um where nipsey hustle was really big on doing great work in his area um he had this thing called vector 90 it was a co-working space and stem training center that taught tech skills um, and he did all this great stuff for his area. However, 50 wants you to know the government didn't kill Nipsey. Allegedly, a sucker named Shitty Cuz killed him. That's the depressing truth. There wasn't some exciting conspiracy theory. No one came after Nipsey. Shitty killed Nipsey because he was a hater, plain and simple. Um, the crab in the barrel mentality is what killed Nipsey. Uh, just like it killed Jay, who is his mentor, and so many other successful black folks who stayed in their community after they found success. I left the hood and I never looked back. Where he doesn't want you to think he doesn't give back. He just, that's not where he puts himself anymore for safety. Yeah, no, I completely understand because, I mean, again, going back to like surrounding yourself around the environment that you want to become, um, he wanted to be around successful people, people that are thinking of moving forward rather than getting stuck, like being in the hood. 
um, he doesn't want to be in a- any of that. Yes, he's. I believe he says he goes back and, and visits, but he doesn't want to be around that the whole entire time because eventually your mind is just going to start thinking like those surroundings. Um, so if he wants to be a successful entrepreneur, a successful uh, rapper, a, a, a successful individual, he wants to surround himself uh, uh, along the lines with successful rappers, successful entrepreneurs. Um, Not the people that he already is more successful than on the streets. He says, do I give a lot of money back to the streets through my charities? Absolutely. Do I work to make sure those kids have better legal opportunities than I had? No doubt. But on the streets, there just isn't enough space for both success and suckers. And staying on the streets after finding success is a way to make yourself a sucker. Yeah, and I complete. I can understand what some people might think of the individuals that do stay back uh, in the hood or, or like, uh, y- you know, where you come from, back home, where it's comfortable. Right. Exactly. I do understand that perspective of like, oh, now he thinks like he's too good, too good of a person or like a hot shot type of type of thing. But that's what those people probably don't understand is that perspective of, I've I've. I've found the success i found the people that i want to network with that can bring me even more success because i mean just because there's a, a there's a word success it doesn't mean that you've reached an end goal like the end goal never ends i mean you can lose all that money and success like uh, the day after very easily it's just sustaining that thing and being around the people that you want to be ar- around with that can put you forward and, and and help you out in a better way um then that's what that inv- individual would do. If those people were in that uh, same situation that 50 was, then they would be doing the exact same thing. He even brings it up. He brings it specifically back to the Asian community. He's like, when people in New York City living in Chinatown have struggled and immigrated and they make it, they don't go get a huge house and invite all their friends to come live with them. They take their family, they go to a safer neighborhood, and they strive for the better. Um, yeah, they still love the people that they left, but they're not out there trying to provide for them, too. And he specifically cites that um, it's different in the hood. When you leave the hood, a lot of times you try to take it with you. The first thing he did was buy Mike Tyson's mansion, and it had, like, 18 bedrooms. And he just like everybody come move in with him mm-hmm. real quick. But because of that, he found a lot of people who were using him for his success. And it was another way of surrounding himself with people that were just holding him back and not helping him move forward. Um, Another thing I realized about 50 in reading this is he really was the leader of his group. He created the people he is surrounding himself with, but he also wanted to make sure he's leading them in the right direction. Because there were a few times where... I understood what he was doing, but I was like, oh, I don't want to apply this to myself because I don't want to be the person who's leading my crew. I just want to have a solid group of friends that we're all moving forward together, but I don't want to necessarily be the one who has to lead them there. And he really does have to lead some of his crew. So that part was really hard for me because the next header is demand discipline of your crew. Hmm. I'm not going to be like, well, if you're going to be my friend here's the rules ma'am like i just it's not gonna work for me but the way he did it he had to because he goes on tour and as soon as g unit hit the road i was very clear about my policy on guys getting into it with each other if any of you guys fight each other you're going home the next day period and he laid down the law and that was the law you didn't mess with that um and someone tries to make a mess with it he says if you're going to maintain control of your team you must make people respect the repercussions even if it means ending a relationship Mm -hmm. including friendship and that i understood there are boundaries we need to set boundaries and Mm -hmm. that's what i took away from that it is so important to make clear-cut boundaries with your friendships with your relationships with your significant others because if you don't have that boundaries, then people won't know where's too far. And you can get yourself in a situation where you're like, well, I didn't set a boundary. So maybe it wasn't too far. You've got to be very clear with what you are comfortable with. And if you become uncomfortable at any point, that's the time to sever that friendship after you've set your boundary. Because you let them know what is expected of them. Mm-hmm. Um Those choices don't have to be as dramatic as getting someone a bus ticket home because one of his dudes got in a fight. And he was like, all right, go home. Your career's over. You were only here because of me. You got to go now. And he ended that friendship right there. But he's like, it doesn't have to be that severe. If you're a supervisor at a company, it could just mean transferring them to another department. A manager at a retail store, maybe you move that kind of person to another location. 
But if you run your own small business, it probably means firing their ass immediately. You won't have the luxury of carrying anyone giving you anything less than their best as an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, I mean, being an entrepreneur, being the leading role, being the man that he needs to look after, which is himself. So he, all the variables that can go wrong against against him, he's trying to control those variables. And if it means making strict rules about the people that are being around you, I mean, so be it. But he's just too busy to care in that sense. Yep. And I know that might sound ruthless, and I don't know if that's what 50 is trying to say in that sense, but he just wants to basically have a rule of thumb of like, he just wants positive energy around him and people that want to put in the work. And I actually don't think it's ruthless at all because he doesn't come out here and just be like, ah, no, I don't like what you're doing, get out. He says from the get-go, here's what I expect of you if you're going to be on my tour. Here's what I expect if you're going to be part of my crew. Know that going forward, don't mess up. So when he cuts you off, he told you what he expected right from the beginning. And I think that's why I took away the setting boundaries thing. As opposed to, I don't necessarily want to be a leader, but I do have boundaries. If you want to be friends with me, there are certain boundaries that we are going to set. But I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life either. So um, he also gives us really cool example of a good way to switch up your team. He uses um, Jay-Z who is one of my favorite people in yes. pop culture. Mm-hmm. I adore Jay-Z. So if you want a textbook example of the right way to replace an existing crew with a new one, consider what Jay-Z did while he was president of Def Jam Recordings. No one understood why he switched to be the uh, running this label. They were like, dude, you're the top of your rap career. You're the best. Why would you try to do that? Um, but then 50 says he wasn't there to run the label. He was there to construct a new team, and that's what he did. By taking over Def Jam, Jay positioned himself to make that label's pre-existing superstars his new crew. He became associated with Kanye and Rihanna, and it was a major commercial upgrade. The people who he was um, affiliated with before never became quite what he had set them up to be, and he was savvy enough to move on. He set them up for something. They just never achieved that, and he wasn't going to stay back where they were. So um, it was a major commercial upgrade. After he stopped running Def Jam, Kanye and Rihanna still saw Jay-Z as their boss. So he gave the people from Philly plenty of opportunities. They didn't take it. So he moved on, and now Kanye and Rihanna and Jay-Z are always associated with each other. They're huge stars, amazing entrepreneurs, and very smart money makers. Jay-Z surrounded himself with the exact type of people he wanted to be around, and look what they've created. Yeah, he gave them a chance, uh, the other individuals, and they, they didn't really take that one shot. They At all. Um, so that was something that I really respected, that he didn't hesitate to make those moves. No, not at all. He knew where he wanted to be. He knew where he was going, and uh, the people that he re- surrounded himself with didn't really seem to be on the same wavelength as, as, as him. So he was just like, well, let me go look for other individuals that are. And by running a label, you see their work ethic. Um, you literally are directing them at times and seeing how they take your direction. And to find Kanye and Rihanna, two people who went right into line for you, like, who else would you want in your line? Okay, that's a pretty great line of musicians. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out this way, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing he brings up is when you get your crew together, there are some things that you're going to struggle with, especially putting different minds together. Most of the time, getting people on the right path will require bringing their competitiveness and their cockiness down a few notches. Mm. So here we are talking about the ego. The ego, the evil of all. <laughs> I love talking about the ego. Sebastian will be the first one to tell you I love when I can help someone realize that pride is not everything and setting it aside can lead you to so many greater opportunities. Yep. I am one of those human beings. <laughs> um, I hate to say this, but I don't think I've ever had a pride issue. No, I don't think so, At to be honest. At least not since you've known me. I've never really had to correct you. I don't even want to say correct. I, I, I've I, never had to bring that up upon uh, our conversations ever. Like It's not a thing that you have to work on with yourself. I am the first one to tell you ego gets on my on my side really yeah. really bad and that's not a good thing. <laughs> like so there can be circumstances like 
Some people are afraid to admit when they were wrong. If you were wrong, you were wrong. Some people will be wrong and then be so prideful about the fact that they found out they were wrong and their ego gets in the way and then they're like, well, I'm not going to admit I was wrong. And like sometimes it just straight up can end a friendship or a relationship or whatever just because you don't want to put your ego and pride aside for a moment to admit that there was something wrong. And if you can do that, you can do anything. Yeah. I'm going to tell you guys a really ridiculous story that happened while we were traveling where my <laughs> ego got the best of me and it doesn't make any sense of why it even got the best of me. So anyways, uh, we were traveling in Thailand at the time. Uh, we had just gotten there in November 17th, I believe, and literally like five days later, um, about to make a withdrawal, I, I make the withdrawal of the of the money. And then we go on about our day. And then later that night, I'm looking for my credit card and nowhere to be found. Uh, Debit card, actually. My debit card? No, that was my first. That was mine. So I lose my debit card. Dumb. Okay. So luckily enough, we had her debit card. So we go on about our trip. We still are able to do the things. And then we go to Singapore, we go to the Philippines, and we go to Bali, and then we come back to Thailand again. So I think I'm just not meant to have a debit card in Thailand, because (laughs) as soon as we come back, like the next day, I lose MK's debit card. He put it in an ATM and got money out and just forgot to take the card back. Yeah, I just like left it there. It doesn't make any sense. Why? Because that's just what you're supposed to do. You're just (laughs) supposed to put it in and then take it out. Anyways, I just I just was in another world. Um, And I just freaked out. Literally, the moment I found out that I had lost that debit card, I just freaked out. I literally shut down completely. I didn't want to listen to MK. I didn't want to listen to anyone. At first, he didn't even tell me. Yes. And I was literally just freaking out trying to find a solution because um, we are in this other country, yes, with our other four friends, but we don't have access to any more money that we have. (laughs) We but, still got at least a week left to go. Yeah, before we head back. Exactly, to and it doesn't make any sense of why the ego got the best of me at, at that time. Because at the end of the day, we still had our other friends that could help us out, and you even brought it, that upon our conversation, so to speak. I guess whenever I was so mad and oh, so well, irritated, there also tensions were building because when you finally told me what was wrong, I laughed. I thought it was so funny that he lost another bank card it was literally actually you know what it was three days into thailand the first time not five days because then three days into thailand the second time was when you lost it that's how embarrassed and like how irritated i was is that my mind was trying to erase that completely and i laughed so hard and sebastian got so mad because i thought i found the humor because why be angry it's too late we're in another country and we lost all our money that's fun that's a fun story. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't scared at all because all the people, first of all, the people we were with, we I we live with two of them. Like, they just went back to Ocean City, but we live with two of them. The other two are our best friends. Like, we know we're covered. They're going to hook us up. We've had to cover each other over the whole trip because some ATMs just won't let you pull out money for random reasons sometimes. So I wasn't worried. I was like, we can call your mom. We can sign into our bank thing and deactivate the card. It's going to be fine. Then I forgot my bank password, and Sebastian's mad at me, and I'm like, why are you upset? And he's mad because he forgot his bank password, too. And so, like, so then he gets mad at me because he's frustrated with himself, and he didn't want to, and eventually I was like, this is very easy to figure out, and he's like, I'm just going to go to bed. And he went and laid down in the room, and I was like, I'm just going to give him some time. And we didn't have Wi-Fi at this place. We didn't have cable. It was night and hot. And so I finally come back in, and he's like, I'm sorry. You're right. Everything's fine. I was like, yes, everything is going to be fine. The next day, our friends pull us out money and we go in. The trip is fine after that. But for those few moments, he was so had so much pride. He didn't want to admit that he had done something wrong or have to be embarrassed even because you were it was also slightly embarrassing. Yeah, no, the way I should have handled the situation was like, okay, well, I lost this card. Damn. Okay, let me go to MK. Let me just tell her I'm so sorry. I completely lost the card. Now, however, we do have our friends here. Uh, let's just talk to Ian or Brooke or uh, Andrew and Sherry. Like, can they just pull out some money for us real fast, and then we can just uh, Venmo them or like repay them in any kind of way? Yeah, because we still totally had Venmo and yeah, cash. Yeah, which is available. exactly what happened. But like, I just my ego 
got me so insane and I just I couldn't think I literally the emotions just got the best of me and I just could not think straight so that that's the longest story I guess that I would is say. not that long but like yeah it's a huge perfect example like we're out in this other country everything's amazing there's nothing wrong but your ego because the whole thing was you didn't want to have to tell or ask our friends for money mm, yeah. and it wasn't that we didn't have money it's just embarrassing to have to ask if you have a pride or ego situation going on me yeah. i don't ask anyone for money but if i had to hey um i'm struggling right now if you wouldn't mind hooking me up yeah. i'll take care of it later. like i because i don't have that pride issue yeah and i and i do and so it's, it's something fun. that i know about myself the first step is recognizing it the second step is just actually working on it which i am doing and in the past three years you've made leaps and bounds because when we first started your ego and your pride were so up and then you've learned so much and brought and humbled yourself so much. Yeah, absolutely. Super growth. Um, and there's another cool piece of this back to the book is the key to, is to understand that different people require different tactics to take care of their cockiness or their competitiveness or their ego. Um, so with Sebastian, I know exactly how to deal with Sebastian because I've been with him for three years. And you just come you got to come to a point of understanding and logic and reason because he's very logical and reasonable. So once he realizes the reality of the situation, it might take a moment to calm down, but it works. Some people cannot see the reality of a situation. Like, so that's another reason I would never want to be the leader of my team like 50 Cent had to, because he had to figure out like when to coddle and when to cut someone off. Because he cut off Bangham Smurf, who was the guy he kicked off of his tour bus for fighting. No problem. He was like, this guy, no matter what I do, like I have to shut him down in order for him to grow as a person. Where there's another time where he wanted the guy that plays Ghost in power. He wrote that part for him. It's time for this guy to audition, and the guy bombs the audition, right? Yeah, so once he bombs that audition... He come fifties like dude like what's going on my these guys don't want you for the role and he's like maybe I'm not right for the role and fifties like no we're not doing that and he's like but this is not the time to cut someone off this guy just needs some coaxing so he builds this guy up he's like I wrote this part for you like you're the reason I did this and you need to go show them who you are and he goes and he shows them who he is and he is ghost and he has always been ghost on power and that's what people come to expect when they think of that character but there was a moment where it almost wasn't him because his pride and his ego got so deflated like he thought so low of himself for a moment and he didn't want to go and reface those producers after they already said that he isn't the part hmm. um, he also did the same thing for a fighter a really famous fighter. Oh, well, he did it to uh, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, but also the other fighter, the white guy. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he's a really aggressive, big-time fighter, and he had to sit him down because he thought he'd already won the match before yeah, they had ever gone I think that was. I think that was in Chapter 4. Oh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so yeah. I guess we'll just move <laughs> on to Chapter 4. Yeah, let's, let's, let's actually get back on track here. Um, so we're, we're just going to go back to Chapter 4. Uh, knowing your value. We're just going to start off right there. Um, know your worth, then add tax, which I thought was a pretty baller line. So I just want to say that it was uh, by anonymous because <laughs> no source. Um, I've learned over the years that though the pay me energy is incredibly powerful, I have to apply it judiciously. Um, so 50 Cent is known for lyrics like, give me the loot. I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Fuck you pay me and he is known for these things and he just wants to let you know he you can't just go into a situation and say that no you can't just expect someone to pay you um however the right deal is out there and you should wait for it you should know your worth but don't demand more than you are either and that's no. a delicate balance to figure that out yeah know what you're worth but at the end of the day don't just ask for money just because you know what you're really worth like uh, knowing what you're worth means like knowing what you have the value of the, the thing that you know of not like money wise like yeah. to money monetizing it or like monetary things like don't really matter at the end of the day yeah and another way to know your worth is to be completely patient because uh, he brings up how some people will go in for a record deal and they will be like, take the first thing that comes at them, even if it is like $50,000 in recording, where if you hold out long enough, you could actually get something good. 
but some people are just out here like afraid they won't get another deal and they just won't take anything else. Yeah. So he goes on to talk about about the right deal being out there, and all you have to do basically is just wait for it. And、uh, he goes on to say that one of his greatest negotiating strength is actually patience. And、uh, I really like that about him because he knows, as Curtis Jackson, he needs to have some patience and actually wait to what really. Um, is the big deal that's gonna work out for him. He likes to analyze things, as we know from、uh, the first、uh, two chapters. He likes to look at every bit of、uh, every factor that he can think of、um, and know what might happen. Like he understands that everything and anything can happen at any given moment, basically. And a huge part of that was actually him choosing his label. What label he needed to sign to, because they wanted him to sign to a completely different label that I can't think of right now. But whichever one it was, he was like, "No, that's not the move for me." And then he heard that Eminem was interested in signing him to Shady,、uh, Shady's label. So he was like, "That has to be the move for me," because even though he wouldn't have got millions of dollars as a signing bonus, I think he it was like only a fifty thousand dollars signing bonus. Like it was something really small. But he was like the opportunity there. I get to work with Eminem, and through Eminem, I get Dr. Dre as well. And with a team like that, nothing could stop us. So he's looking towards the future. He's not looking at the money. And his record label was—I mean—and his manager、um, and one of their guys,、uh, part of his team, was like, "No, you're making a mistake, man." And like turned into a big thing. And he was like, "No, I'm signing with Eminem's label. Trust me, this is the move." And in the long run, it was the move. Yeah, I believe、um, it says right here the J Records deal would mean more money for Violator.、Uh, the Eminem deal wouldn't. Uh, Todd refused to let it go, so some of my crew and I had to go to Violator to discuss the situation. Meaning,、uh, what Fifty、uh, Cent wanted was to sign for, was wanted what he wanted was to sign for Interscope, which is Eminem's、uh, record label. Yeah. Because just like MK said, he just wanted to be around the people that can help him push forward and be better and、uh, the the connections. Yeah, and there was no other deal that could have matched the power of the tag team that he got this way. And just to let you guys know, Violator is his management. Like that's his managing team, his friend Chris that he talked about in the last chapter.、Mm-hmm. Um, but they all thought he was crazy. But once he brought his vision to Chris, Chris was like, "Okay, you're right." And then he just had to fight this other guy named Todd. Todd was wrong. Todd left the room, and he signed with Eminem's label. Um, but he has to stress at the time it was not a clear cut decision. Some people like to think it was obvious, like of course you're going to go to Eminem's label. But there was a lot of money on the line here. Violator, the actual management team, would have made hundreds of thousands of dollars if he had signed with this other label. Where Violator didn't make any money off the Eminem deal, but in the long run they made enough money off Fifty Cent that it didn't matter.、Mm-hmm. Um, so just waiting for the right deal is super important because if you take the first thing that comes at you, you're settling. And he says when you settle, you're demonstrating a lack of confidence.、Um, but when you pour everything you have into something and it doesn't work out, insecurity sets in, and then that's why you're vulnerable. And the predators will sense that self doubt and try to take advantage of it. Because if you're working, especially in the business world, some people in the business world are vultures. They They learn to read people before they learn the business side, and、yeah. so if you're showing any lack of confidence, then they can use you and get you for the least amount of money you're worth. Yeah,、absolutely. because you're starting to feel like you're worth less. Well, yeah, I mean, it's all about just、um, make、uh, not letting your guard down. Yeah. So he says, I had the confidence and patience to wait until the right deal was in front of me. I believed in my value, and eventually, I was rewarded for it. In just a couple of years, I went from being dropped. To releasing one of the best-selling hip-hop albums of all time, and it was because he signed with Eminem. Yeah,、uh, that that was quite an incredible change.、Um, but again, it's also because of his patience, his willingness to know exactly what he was worth, and he was willing to want to learn more. He wasn't there about the money. He didn't care about the money. It's not about that. He only cared about what he could learn that could help him become a better rapper, become a better human being, being around the people that he wanted to be around with. Yeah, and again, he also brings up not overinflating your ego because it's great to have confidence. 
but never let your ego build you to an association that can take you further than you'll go on your own. Yeah, and uh, the key two words right there are confidence and ego. One thing is being confident about something, and one thing is being egotistical about something. So, like, what what is really the true difference? I mean, to me, confidence is being able to like know what you're doing, being uh, uh, sure of what it is that you're talking about. And egotistical is being thinking that you know everything about what it is that you're talking about and not being open to other perspectives of it. So like not basically being closed minded when somebody else might give you something else to expand on on that knowledge. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, especially being open minded is just the most I think. That's what I'm getting from every book we're reading. It's well, from our two books that we've reading so far. <laughs> um, it being open minded is just a huge piece of growing as a person. Yeah. Um, open mindedness. You, the world is more than you, and seeing what's around you and observing it and taking it in and using that information to create the best path for yourself. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, that's something that I really learned when I first met you. Before I think, I think of myself. As before, like about three years ago, that I was more closed-minded to a lot of things. Uh, I, I was not very open-minded to, wow, a countless amount of things that I don't want to bring up right now. But uh, I, I, being through you, a, a human being that is open to a lot of perspectives, uh, being okay with a lot of things, has definitely humbled me in a lot of sense and definitely given me, given me that perspective, which I really love. It's also really cool because when we first met, um, I knew a version of you, but the version of you now is way more true to who you are at your core because you weren't as open-minded. You were also afraid to let the world see who you were. Mm -hmm. You didn't speak your mind very often. No, not at all. Actually, you did not speak your mind straight up. And some of our problems were communication issues when we first met because we immediately moved in together and moved to a new state and had no one but ourselves. (laughs) So then you had to learn how to communicate in general. Yeah. Um, so that's another really cool thing is opening yourself up to allow for personal growth and communication and just a better future for yourself. And yes. you've done that very well so far. So Thank you. <laughs> um, so the next header is focus on the potential, not the payday. When we look back at how I evaluated the M&M deal, notice all the positives I focused on. Elite talent to work with, a lack of internal competition, and access to a new fan base. Now, notice what I didn't mention. Money. Yeah, which I kept saying. Uh, I knew he was going to lead on to this, obviously. But, at, yeah, at the end of the day, who cares? Obviously, we have to survive. And, yes, we live in a time where basically money is very, very important. I get it. I understand it. I worry about money all the time. Probably almost too much. He worries about <laughs> money more than anyone. But at the end of the day, whenever you truly love something, whenever you you want to really do what it is that you love, I mean, who cares about the money? If you really do love something, then you're just doing it for the fun of it. And that is something you've also been able to put into your professional life, too, because you used to have this attachment to money that we all have, and mm. you had to separate yourself from it to realize money is just a tool Hmm. so that if anything happens with money it doesn't my grandpa used to say money will always be a problem whether you have it or don't so why let it bother you because no matter what you'll be worrying about it so um that is something you've actually adopted on yourself is yeah money is always going to be a problem no matter what i've got so as long as you look at money as a tool instead of a life-sustaining thing it actually changes your whole perspective and allows you to open yourself up for possibilities that can help you move forward. It really does. And it isn't until like I finally understood that money was a tool that I I finally felt like the world like finally got off my shoulders, so to speak. Obviously, yes, it does get in my head at times still. But whenever I start thinking of like, all right, well, you probably just need to think of something else or just think of it as like whatever money is just a piece of paper. It is what it is. Then my mind just gets more clear. Yeah. And so that's why 50 says the first check you should receive should never be your biggest concern. Always focus on the long term potential instead. The best position best business decision I ever made was my deal with vitamin water back in 2004. 
Um, when he wanted to sell water, he mentioned it to his friend and manager, Chris, who said, sell water to who? Because <laughs> that was a time when everyone in the rap game was trying to sell different liquors and champagnes and alcohols, and that was the move. But the way 50 looked at it, first of all, he doesn't even drink. No, so, doesn't. like, he wants something that will represent himself. And then he thought about it even more, and he said people don't always even drink alcohol at live events. Maybe they're under 21, or they don't want to spend $20 for a stale beer. One thing that's always available and popular at any concert is water. Then one day, he's just walking through a supermarket aisle, and he realizes, like, water costs 75 cents a bottle unless it's a premier brand of water, and then all of a sudden it's $3, but it's mm. water. It's literally just water and marketing. Um, So he said, if you blindfolded me, there's no way I could tell which one was which. The premium brands had just done a better job at marketing and promoting. Um, It had never occurred to him before, but just like booze, you can mark up alcohol. I mean, just like you can mark up water. Um, Water is a more authentic representation of his lifestyle. And one day when he was working out in a gym in L.A., his trainer gave him a bottle of something called vitamin water. He took a swig and liked it so much, he made a mental note that he should invest in it. And then he put the empty trash bottle into his gym bag so he wouldn't forget about it. Then he had someone on his team reach out to them. And they were so excited because they wanted to pay him to represent the company. And he was like, how about instead of taking cash, I take equity in your company? Ding, ding, ding. Big keyword, equity. And taking equity in a company isn't exactly an easy thing to do, but he had enough money that he was able to work that out. At the time, they were just coming out with a um, vitamin water called Formula 50. They did not create it for him. It is just one that they happened to be creating at the time. And who could do that better than 50 Cent as a marketer? (laughs) <laughs> formula 50 by 50 cent like that sounds amazing and he was like like i'm telling you i will do this all for you i'll come in i'll go hard on the marketing just let me have a part of your company so he gets a part of the company in 2004 and in 2007 coca-cola purchases that company for 4.1 billion dollars mm. and the original amount they wanted to give him was only like $50,000 or something like that to represent them. Like, he was just like, oh, well, we'll give you this money. And he ended up making $4.1 billion instead. No, no, he he, he, he did not make $4.1 billion. He, Well, I mean, he, I'm sorry, he the, made a the percentage. Sale. He made a percentage of the $4.1 billion. Here, Of course, I got a piece of that. I'd like to give you the number, but I signed a non-disclosure agreement to never name the actual price. Let's just say I did very, very well. So, like, he made a lot of money. It, he didn't make four point one billion, but that's how much the company sold for, and he got a pretty a pretty chunk, penny of chunk that. of change for um, sure. And they just they didn't even want to throw him a million for representing the brand. So whatever he made was amazing and way worth it. Is the best business decision he ever made because he picked something that was authentic to himself, and he went and found a new way to sell something by marketing water as specialty. He also forced them to make it grape flavor so it would um, attract people from, as he said, the hood because they were looking at doing like an acai or a pomegranate. And he was like, people from the hood are not going to buy your acai water. They want grape. So he did that and it was a huge, crazy success. Um, Then he goes on to say, never get fixated on a number when it comes to the money Um, because... He, at one point, is recording. He's dropped from his label. He has nowhere he can record. So his friend has this basement studio. It's a shitty basement studio, but it's a basement studio, so he can go record there. The friend never brings up making him pay for it or doing a money thing. He's just like, yeah, man, I'm going to help you out. Now it gets to the point where the album is going to be dropped, and and he's now got a new deal with Slim Shady Records, and he's going to make all this money off of this album, and his friend sends him an invoice for $50,000. Yeah, basically a giant bill of like, hey man, you stayed at my place and you did all these things, Um, I think uh, you owe me this amount of of money, which fifty thousand dollars is a quite ridiculous amount for a basement studio, because fifty go like literally tells you this isn't some fancy studio. This is literally a basement put together thing, but it does the job. They also had never talked about money before. His friend had never brought up the fact that he was going to ever charge him anything, and fifty was about to take care of him. I don't like want you to think he wasn't. He was ready to, but. 
before even talking to him about it or being like, do you think there's something we could do? He just sends him an invoice for $50,000. Yeah, it was all about the way he approached them. And yeah. then I believe uh, what 50 did was just like um, his counter offer was like, how about I give you $30,000 and a point for every... A point. On, it's, it's literally called a point on my album. Um, uh, yeah, that's what it is. Um, and a album. point in the record industry is if for every point you have is a certain percentage of the uh, money you're going to make off the album. So literally one point is 1% of all that record sales. Yeah, so like royalties. And what had happened was whenever he said uh, that $30,000 and the point um, on, on his, uh, what is it, the album? Yeah, on his album. Um, that the guy just refused. He was like, I want $50,000. His mind is on that number. Again, his ego got the best of him and he would just solely focus on the money, which again, we've learned that is it is not important. So the guy was just like, no, please just give me the $50,000 and then that that's it. So and 50, 50 was, actually fought him on it. Yeah, he, did. He, he really did. But at the end of the day, he really was just like, okay, here you go. Take the $50,000 and sort of was just like, well, that's the end of us. He like, said we used to be, he used to see him as a partner. Like he was someone he would have brought on forever because what he did for him really hooked him up. He was like, this is my man's and I'm always going to take care of him now. But then he came at him with this $50,000 bill. And then wouldn't take the point on his uh, album. So now 50's mad. He's like, all right, fine. Take the $50,000, but you're just an acquaintance. You're like, every once in a while, if I need you, I might hit you up, but that's it. And he actually made a horrible mistake. Because the, the one point on his album, he would have walked with close to $2 million from that deal alone. Just yep. from the points, that's not cool. including the $30,000. Yep. Um, so it was just he, he, this guy let his pride and his ego get the best of him. And he lost out on a $2 million deal over $50,000. Yeah. Yeah, so basically this guy messed himself up because of his ego. He could have made this huge payday, and then he didn't. So that's all 50's trying to say right there. Don't fixate on a number, and you'll be fine. Um, then he comes to another header, and it's called Just Do Shit. <laughs> if you want to do something, just, just do it. Just Nike it out. Um, an example is he's really inspired by travel bloggers. Um, those kids aren't waiting for a big travel agency or TV network to write them a check. They bought a plane ticket and a decent camera, traveled to some local or not-so-local cool places, and they started creating their own content. Like, there was no one who told them what they should do, what they could do, what they needed to do. They went and did what they did, and then eventually people started saying, you could stay at my place for free, just write about my hostel. Here's a free plane ticket. Do a review on our planes to a point where they're doing whatever they want to do. Um, so just like when it gets to, if there's something you want to do, but you don't know how to do it and you're afraid, just do it. Because as we learned from our last episode, fear is a dream killer. Just mm -hmm. go and do things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we move to the next header, which is the greatest expense. The most expensive thing I spend is time. And he talks about how this one time he tells, he goes up to M in the studio and he's like, what if we put together a massive world tour? It'd be you, me, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg that would sell out stadiums everywhere. And he's so pumped and he gets so excited. And then Eminem's like, man, that sounds great. It sounds really amazing, but I don't want to do it. And that blows 50's mind. He's like, how could you not want to do something like that? And he's like, I don't want to go on tour for months and then come home and Haley's grown. Because all he's thinking about is spending time with his daughter. And he uh, he straight up is never lets external forces tell him what to care about. Including money. Including the fans. He's like, nah, I, I'm going to spend time with my daughter. That's the, most, that's the best thing I could do for myself right now. And then uh, 50 says he'd argue that not chasing the money is the reason Eminem has made so much of it. Mm. There is no sellout there. That man does what he does. He's passionate about it, and he just goes. Yeah. Um, he was going to pay his dues and establish himself as a real MC, even if it meant putting off getting paid first, even at the beginning of his career. He could have come out like a vanilla ice, but instead he was like, no, I'm going to be a real rapper, and I'm going to do this no matter how hard it is. Um, so you have to retrain your brain to value experience because 50 did not understand the value in um, Eminem wanting to spend time with his daughter instead of taking this huge money-making world tour deal. So retraining your brain to what is important is huge, and that is a very hard thing to do and takes a lot of work, but that's why he gives you all these steps. <laughs> yeah. Um, another example of just doing shit and going out and like making it work 
there's this guy that he mentions in the very beginning of the book, and we never even talked about him because I didn't know he mattered at that time. But he was a he's a photographer for Fifty Cent, and he's from France, and he's obsessed with G Unit, and he moves to New York City strictly because he wants to work with and around G Unit and in this hip hop industry, and he makes his dream a reality because he understood two key concepts. The first was persistence. He cold called their offices. They didn't answer. It didn't work out. When that didn't work, he showed up at the office. That didn't work. But then he, they knew what he looked like. They had a picture of his face. And then he went and found something wrong on their website and was like, well, here, I can make myself of value to you. If you don't want me as a photographer, that's fine. But your website does need a lot of work. And it just came out. And they're like, okay, you're right. We do need help on that. And within like two days, their website is better than it's ever been before. And he's created and he's made himself an asset. The second smart thing he did was he didn't call back asking for the internship. He offered them something, making himself invaluable. So um, that's another way to go after something. And don't be afraid to go for an internship just because you're not making money. Because getting your foot in the door is all you need to do. And then you can find a way to make yourself indispensable. Mm -hmm. And the very last thing we come to in this chapter is get it on paper. No matter what it is. Protect yourself and put it on paper. If there is a deal, promises aren't worth shit, you have to get papered up. Trust me, everyone loves each other at the start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a very small um, uh, section, but he's just basically saying if you're going into business with, business with someone or <laughs> getting married, make sure just you just protect your side. That's yeah. all he's really saying from it, experience, I guess. And it literally, like, it doesn't matter if it's your best friend, your boyfriend, your mom, like, get, write it down. Write yeah. it all down, no matter what. That way, from the beginning, not, you're not the only one protected. So is the other party. It literally is the best for both people. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that is the end of Chapter 4. So that's Chapter 3 and 4 that we covered today. I hope um, you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much. I know there are a couple points where we got a little scattered, but there's a lot in here, and it's all really good, and it's hard to talk through all of it, even in these huge podcasts. Yep. Um, so for next week, can you read chapters five and six? And that'll bring us to our next exciting episode of reading Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. Yep, absolutely. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in and hope to see you all next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank see you. ya. See ya.